Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. I'll be back after tonight's first story to tell you a little more about our experience with HelloFresh. Until then, settle in, get cozy... And prepare to be unsettled. The show's about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about haunted hotels, wonder in the woods, and frightening family reunions. I'm Otis Gyrie host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, with three seasons of my own available now on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. 
tonight I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Jordan Lester, Jason Hill, and Andrew Berrios. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is brought to us courtesy of author Chip Noir and is voiced by actress Jordan Lester. In it, our protagonist learns just how important family truly is, despite some rather notable differences between she and her long-lost sibling. Without further ado, I present to you my sister Sylvia. When the doctor told me I only had about a year left to live, I took the news surprisingly well. Perhaps because my life's been so fucking empty for the last ten years that I didn't really feel like I was losing out all that much on life by ending it shortly. Ovarian cancer, caused by some strange, hard-to-diagnose syndrome inherited from my mother. She had died of something similar, according to my Aunt Elizabeth. My aunt had always been there for me. Up until the shithead years where I ran away with a guy as a teenager, only to learn after a miscarriage that life with a barren wife is not very appealing. After that, my aunt was really all I had in life, and I was grateful when she offered me a place to stay while I got things in order. So, like I said, I wasn't that surprised or upset about it all. Not really, once I got past the initial reaction. I was determined to make the best of my last year, though. My aunt was retired now, and I did my best to help around the house and garden. At the time, I made my living producing scarves and other pretty meaningless things to sell to bored housewives who spent too much free time on Pinterest. Most of my hair had fallen out, so I had taken to wearing a perfumed scarf around my head. One I had made for myself, with silver spiderweb patterns. My family all seemed to have a knack for sewing. For a rare moment, I felt content as I sat on the tree swing, gazing up at the house. Coming back here was soothing to me, the pain somehow less harsh as I surrounded myself with familiar settings. I was tired all the time and the chemo made me sick as a dog. But as soon as I got in the door, I began to feel better. The house was built in two sections, meeting at a right angle, with verandas and widow's walks and all the trimmings of a Victorian manor house. The most unique thing about it was a spired turret that jutted up from the roof where the two halves of the house met, easily a full floor higher than the rest of the house. Rose trellises, overgrown with ivy, dotted the angled walls of the turret, ending just before the nearest windows on the third floor. As far back as I could remember, that turret had been off-limits. I'd always been curious about it, and as soon as I was old enough to notice it, I asked my aunt why I wasn't allowed to go up there. She would smile and assure me that when the time was right, I'd be led up there. 
Unsatisfied with that answer, I was determined to find a way. I searched everywhere in the dozens of rooms. I tried the dumbwaiters. I even tried one time to see if I could reach the bottom of the trellises with a ladder, and was grounded for a week when the ladder fell and smashed into the garden greenhouse. Nothing I tried worked. Soon I accepted that there was probably nothing up there but junk, like every attic. As I gazed up at the turret, I thought I saw a face in the dark window. It was such a strange sight that it took me a moment to even realize what I'd seen. I told myself it had to have been a trick of the light. There was no way someone could be up there. The turret stairs, or whatever, had to have been walled off long before I'd ever lived there. I was starting to feel fatigued in the growing heat and dismissed the whole notion in favor of a nap. The chemo was getting to me, and even though I dreaded waking up to find more hair on my pillows, I relished sleep. Dreamless. Emotionless. A reprieve from my growing depression and pain. Sometimes, when I slept particularly deep, I could almost hear a distant voice singing, bringing me back to my childhood in the garden, with memories of a girl I used to play with. I had a happy childhood. Growing up in the large, three-story historical home, I had no lack of love from my aunt. Despite keeping a lucrative nursery and an immaculate private garden, she never failed to make time for her niece. When, on rare occasions, I did feel lonesome for company, I'd used to go into the garden and play with my imaginary friend. Well, I say friend, but she was really more like an imaginary twin sister. We both had the same blue eyes, same pointed nose, same smile, same everything, almost. The only difference between us was that my hair was dark and short, and hers long, flowing, and completely devoid of color. I called her Sylvia. We had the best of times pushing each other on a tree swing or braiding flowers to each other's hair. When I was done playing with her for the day, I'd come in from the garden and breathlessly tell my Aunt Elizabeth about all the adventures I had with Sylvia. Aunt Elizabeth would smile over her cup of rose tea and slowly shake her head when I asked why I could never play with Sylvia outside of the garden. Sylvia is a special girl. She's your responsibility as your special sister. She can't leave the house, but I promise you, she will always be with you. And I smiled at that, knowing in my young heart that Aunt was right. Sylvia was special, and I wanted to play with her forever. I grew up, of course, and Sylvia stopped showing up in the garden. I made new friends, and soon I almost, but not quite, forgot about my strange twin with the silver hair. My aunt was just playing along, knowing how important it was for a shy child like me to have a friend. I woke up an hour later to the sound of knocking on the front door. Pushing aside another depressing clot of hair on my pillow, I frowned when I noticed that some of it was silver. I knew that I was holding in a lot of stress that I should have been dealing with better, but nobody in my family grazed this fast. I checked myself in the mirror, but couldn't find any other silver against what was left of my own natural raven. I shrugged it off and went down to answer the door. It was Tim, a young college-aged guy who helped my aunt on the weekend with her garden, doing the harder work that neither my aunt or I had the physical strength to handle. I guess he was handsome in that football jock kind of way. 
Blonde hair, blue eyes, rugged jawline. I didn't know him all that well, and I suppose that seeing someone on death's doorstep made him uncomfortable, because we never spoke all that much whenever we were around each other. I felt ugly with my thinning hair and sallow skin. I did my best to avoid him within the realms of politeness. After a few hours, I decided that I'd offer him some lunch, and carried some sandwiches and a jug of iced tea out into the yard. Tim was standing in the middle of the garden, staring blankly up at something in the sky. He looked like a dog, listening with one ear cocked, hearing something that nobody else could. I had to nudge his shoulder to get his attention. It was weird, like he'd been asleep while standing up. His eyes were dreamy when he looked down at me, and I could have sworn his pupils were bigger than normal. Tim then shook his head and accepted the tray with a grateful smile. We ate in awkward silence, both sitting on a garden bench. "'Do you guys have a guest visiting?' he asked out of the blue midway through the meal. The question caught me off guard. "'No, nobody's here but us. My aunt is at the store. Why?' I asked, putting my sandwich down on my lap. "'Oh, I guess I was just imagining things. Never mind.' Uh, look, I gotta go pick up more mulch from the hardware store and stuff. Can, can you tell your aunt I'll be back tomorrow? He asked. There was disappointment in his voice. A mix of confusion and anxiety that wasn't normal for him. He left me alone among flowers, only stopping to stare up at the sky again before hurrying out of the yard. I followed his gaze this time. Up to the turret. The windows were empty. My aunt got home later that evening, and she seemed more tired than usual. I guess she was getting on in years. All that hard work tending to her beloved flowers was finally catching up with her. We chatted about idle nothings over roasted ham, and again I felt compelled to ask about the turret. She seemed uncomfortable about the subject, especially when I told her about what Tim and I thought we'd seen. Oh, that's been falling apart for years. The floors are rotted to nearly nothing. It's safer to just leave it alone. Why not get Tim or someone to fix it? Well, I just, just never got around to it, I guess. She left it at that, excusing herself to turn in early. The next morning was a little better, feeling well-rested for a change. I took the car into town and decided to shop for something nice to cook for dinner as a thank you to my aunt. While waiting in line with my cart of groceries, I couldn't help but overhear two women ahead of me talking. I'm not usually much for eavesdropping, but I wanted something to distract myself from the odd mood since yesterday. Third guy this year. It's really starting to worry us. I heard Becky is holding a vigil. Maybe we should go and give her our support. It'd be good for her to get closure after that long... You kind of just have to assume... Well, you know... The cashier finished checking them out, and it was my turn. Despite my better judgment, I asked the girl behind the counter what the two ladies had been talking about. Since I don't get out that much, I really didn't know much of anything that had happened in Red Oak since I left. Oh, that? It's tragic, really. About a year ago, Brian Crispin went missing. He went to a party on campus, and nobody's seen him since. Two other guys vanished, too. The police haven't got any leads. It's like they just up and disappeared. She nodded over towards a bulletin board near the store vestibule. Color photos Xeroxed onto bright blue paper. Three young men, all in the prime of life. I felt a cold sense of deja vu. They all had blonde hair, 
and blue eyes. Just like Tim. I felt a wave of queasiness wash over me and quickly paid for my food without comment. I was sore by the time I pulled into the driveway and decided that I'd take a shower to soothe my muscles after putting away the groceries. A good hot shower and time to mull over all the strangeness. It felt good, the hot water cascading down my aching muscles and the white noise clearing my head of the creepy concerns. As I pulled my hand away from my lathered-up scalp, more silver hair glittered on my hands. This time, though, the ends weren't for me, but from above. Clinging to the ceiling like cobwebs, I instantly shook my head, realizing it wasn't hair, but webbing! Disgusting! The house had its fair share of dust, but this was beyond normal. Hastily, I rinsed my hair and fled the shower and dressed to get dinner on the table. Do you remember the imaginary girl I used to play with as a kid? I asked my aunt over plates of baked seedy. This time, for sure, she wasn't meeting my eyes. She had grown distant over the last few weeks, distracted and almost evasive during our conversations. I don't recall. Why do you ask? Mm. Just thinking. Spending a lot of time in the garden brought up memories about playing with her in the garden. The silence between us was abnormal. My aunt was a talkative, almost overbearing woman usually, and seeing her behave this way was making me uneasy. Well, perhaps I do remember a little. Children need friends, especially the lonely ones, she answered, leaving the subject closed for discussion as she excused herself to take care of something in her room. Neither of us finished our meal that night, and I decided to occupy my troubled mind with my latest sewing project. The rat-a-tat of the machine always calmed me. Perhaps my life was barren, but it was comforting to know I could at least contribute small tokens of beauty to the world, however frivolous. A sudden and loud shuffling noise from above made me jump. Whatever it was, it was loud, like something heavy being moved across the floor. I turned off the machine and gazed up at the ceiling, puzzled. That was my aunt's room. What on earth? earth could she be moving at this late hour? Too rattled and pensive to concentrate on my work anymore, I decided to head upstairs to bed. As I made my way through the upstairs hallway, I stopped to look out the window overlooking the garden. It was another one of those rare moments of sublime tranquility. Only uh, I wasn't the only one enjoying the late night air, it seemed. Something dark and bulky scampered across the yard. I almost considered just chalking it up to my imagination, but it darted forward again, right to the middle of the backyard, before standing still. I watched for several minutes, gripping the windowsill despite the thick cobwebs gathered on it, trying to make out who or what that shape was, and whether I should call 911. Just as quickly as it came, it ran off again. Too tired to put up with pointless police platitudes, I dismissed it as some kid taking a shortcut home. It wasn't an unusual sight in a backwater town like this. I just wished I knew what had made the stranger stand so still like that. The following morning, I went downstairs to the kitchen to get a start on breakfast. The sun was rising past the tree line surrounding the garden, 
and through the window over the kitchen sink, I was shocked to see Tim was out in the yard. He wasn't supposed to be here. Not at seven in the morning. He was standing in the exact same spot the stranger was as yesterday, staring up blankly at the turret. This was too much. Whatever the hell was going on, I wanted answers. Pulling my robe closer, I moved to the back porch and called out to Tim loudly. He didn't seem to hear me, even though I had shouted at the top of my lungs. I called again, and he still ignored me. What the hell? Was he high or something? I marched over and gripped his shoulder, forcing him to turn and look at me, and then stepped back in disgust. His eyes were dilated, and there was drool oozing down his chin. He gripped at his crotch with one hand, obviously aroused. He was looking right through me, head cocked to one side, as if listening for something in the air. He wasn't looking at me. He was looking through me. I backed away quickly, afraid that Tim might attack me in his deranged state. Whatever the hell he was on, it had clearly driven him insane. I remembered stories about guys on PCP going berserk and tearing people apart with their bare hands, only brought down by multiple bullet wounds in their frenzy. But Tim didn't move towards me. Tim didn't even acknowledge my presence. He turned away and stared up at the turret, still rubbing at himself. Only when I followed his gaze did I see the flash of white at the window. It shimmered in the late afternoon sun and trickled down the ivy like water. That voice! I want to see her! I need to see her! He giggled like a schoolboy mooning over a first crush. Still backing away until my legs nudged against the tree swing, I could only stare in horror as Tim ran at the house. At first I thought he intended to smash through the plate glass patio door, but he swerved to the left directly underneath the turret and whatever was slowly cascading down from the high window. It sparkled and shimmered, spreading out in some places, joining together again in long ropes of silvery white strands. Closer up now, it looked... It looked like hair. Long curtains and coils of it snaking down the wall like it was alive. By now, Tim was jumping and reaching for it with one hand, grunting lustily while trying to undo his belt buckle with his other with addled fingers. The hair joined together in front of his face, arching itself to meet at eye level, looking more than ever like a great coiled cord of silky strands. Then it struck, wrapping itself around Tim's neck with a cobra's speed. His hands no longer sought pleasure, but instead pulled on the insistent hairs. His eyes bulged and his tongue poked out horribly. Without any effort, the hair lifted Tim completely off the ground, still wrapping around his body as his feet kicked at the walls to either side, hands still clawing as the hair carried him up, up and then through the high turret window. I dropped to my knees in shock, and then vomited. As if on cue, my aunt moved out from behind the greenhouse and stood over me. Her face was sad. But there wasn't any concern or fear on it. She patiently held my shoulder as I vomited again until there was nothing left to come up. There, there, dear. I knew I shouldn't have left you alone. You weren't supposed to see that yet, she whispered, more to herself than me. 
arms still wrapped around my shaking shoulders, Aunt Elizabeth ushered me into the kitchen and made us both a strong pot of tea. Shouldn't we call the police? I asked when I was finally able to stop crying. Tim had been attacked, was probably dead. How could we sit here drinking tea while whatever monster living in our attic was probably eating Tim alive? There's no need, said Aunt Elizabeth, and poured tea into the cup in front of me, as well as a shot of something from a dark glass bottle. Drink that, dear. It'll make you feel better. I did. And it did. I always liked it when Aunt Elizabeth put brandy in the tea. Now, she said, composing herself seriously, I'm going to need you to stay calm. There are things about our family that you need to know. If you think you've calmed down enough, I'll show you what's been up in our attic all these years. But you have to promise me that you won't scream. Screaming upsets her. Her? Her who? I almost lost it again there. Who the hell was my aunt talking about? It's better to just show you. Then you'll believe what I need to tell you. Aunt Elizabeth led the way upstairs to her bedroom. It was small and full of flowers from the garden. On the far wall was a large bookshelf, which I remembered had always seemed to be too big for such a small room. Its presence made sense now, as my aunt undid a hidden latch at the side and the whole thing swung forward to reveal a hidden staircase. Putting a finger to her lips, Aunt Elizabeth climbed the stairs, which went up in a long spiral until finally ending at a locked door. I knew with dead certainty that this was the turret, and the home of whatever monster had eaten Tim, and likely eaten those other boys from town. The door didn't open onto an attic space full of junk, like I expected. The wide, circular room was carpeted and furnished. There were spider webs everywhere, hanging from the rafters, covering the bed and chairs, clinging to the walls. Everything was either blue, white, or silver. Everything, except for a clump of something red and wet near the open window at the far wall. I recoiled as I noticed that the spider webs were moving. It was hair. The same silver hair I had been seeing for the last several days. It was the same hair I had seen attack Tim. Meaning that the lump in the middle of the room was Tim. I gasped as the lump lurched around suddenly, only to be wound more tightly by the thousands of silvery hairs. Tim was like a bug in its cocoon, struggling to escape from the kiss of a spider. A shadow loomed over Tim's thrashing body, and as my eyes went up to the source of the shadow, my heart nearly stopped. Hanging from the ceiling by spidery limbs was an awful sight. From the waist up, the thing looked like a beautiful young woman of about my age. Naked, although the countless silver hairs framing her face seemed to instinctively cover her like a loose robe. Her lower half was monstrous, ending at the hips in a wide blob of hard, black, spiked carapace. Eight long, 
clawed legs issued from the lower torso, supporting her against the ceiling. More grotesque still, that carapace gave way to a great sucking maw just under her navel and razor-sharp fangs on either side of it, clicking with hungry anticipation as they drooled venomous fluid. I watched in sick fascination as the creature slowly lowered itself over Tim's still-cocooned body. The human-like part of her picked up the squirming mass and embraced it, lovingly. Tim stilled for a moment, and then tensed up as the massive, mawed underside reared up and sank its fangs into his stomach. She continued to nuzzle his body as it struggled, like a patient lover. I couldn't watch any more, turning and burying my face into my aunt's shoulder. Her name is Sylvia, and she's your sister. She needs your help, my aunt whispered, stroking my back as she looked over my shoulder at the terrible monster hanging from the ceiling. I pulled back, shaking my head, but my aunt cut me off before I could say anything. We're not human, dear. We're special. There's always twins. Your mother was my twin. You see, only one of us can live among humans, and the other ends up like your sister Sylvia. Your mother died just after you were born. It was my job to raise you two, like my own. Just like Sylvia will need you to raise her girls after she is gone. Our sisters are born to breed and die, while you and I are born to live and see the next generation through. The name explained it all. I hadn't imagined Sylvia. She had really been here. This whole time. But that was wrong. How could this monster be the little girl I had loved so much all those years ago? It was unthinkable. Yet, as I turned to look at the monster now, I could see that we had the same blue eyes. Her smile was warm. And it was my smile. If not for the silver hair, we would be identical. Your sister has been feeding for a year now, because it's time for her to have her babies. We live for a long time, healthy and strong enough to protect our sisters. But once the younger twin becomes of age, they go into a state of metamorphosis and take the shape she has now. My aunt moved past me and reached up to brush Sylvia's cheek fondly. The monster mewled like a kitten nuzzling my aunt's hand while still hugging Tim's shrouded corpse to her breasts. She hunts by singing and lures men to her room. She's not evil. There is just no other way for her to live. She'd never survive without me to look after her. And neither will her daughters if you don't take up the responsibility. Does that make us monsters too? For letting this go on? Perhaps, but that's for you to decide. Aunt Elizabeth reached out for my hand, and despite my horror, I couldn't help but feel compelled to approach the monster that I was to call my sister. She purred as she lowered herself down to me, 
two of her great spider legs reaching down to pick up Tim's body and stick it up into the rafters. Her now free arms tentatively reached out as she gazed down at me. Little strands of silver hair tickled at my arms and legs, soft as silk. She's missed you, I think. It's very lonely here. She can't really have company like this, except for me. And, well, now you. Every girl needs a friend, after all. I looked back at my aunt and nodded. It was an unfair existence. It wasn't Sylvia's fault she was born like this. No more fair than my being eaten alive by cancer. I felt bad for Tim and the others, but somehow it wasn't enough to raise the same horror anymore. Instead, I felt my heart skip a beat when suddenly Sylvia wrapped her arms around my shoulders and kissed my cheek, just like when we played in the garden as children. It isn't one-sided either, dear. My aunt came up beside me and stroked my hair. The older of us have long lives and good health. Sylvia and her younger daughter will make sure of that for you. It's not a bad life, really. My time may come soon, but your life is just beginning now. You have a beautiful life ahead of you. I turned to look up at Sylvia to look up at the face I shared with her, the face of my dear twin sister, and smiled. A year and a half later, my aunt passed away in a tragic car accident. I still live in the same house I grew up in. I still tend the garden. The doctors are all amazed that my cancer has gone into complete remission, with four years past the point where I should have died. I'm healthier than I've been in years, and happier now that I have two beautiful little girls in my life. They're very close, as close as they can be. The adoption papers were already made up, and my new friends always ask, how can they look so much like me even though we're not related? I simply pass it off as good fortune, a blessing from above. What could bring you more joy than two beautiful little girls, one with dark hair? and one with hair as silver as spider silk. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed my sister, Sylvia. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale for you from Nicholas Gray 
about the day a young man finds something strange and unsettling in the woods and decides to tell his rebellious buddy all about it with unexpected consequences. But first, I'd like to tell you a bit more about today's sponsor, HelloFresh. As I mentioned at the top of the show, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. And this past week, the crew here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights had a chance to try out the service, and I gotta tell you, we were impressed. Our director, Craig, who's got a family of five, including three boys of his own, returned home to find the HelloFresh box on his doorstep, with three full meals ready to prepare in a box, complete with ice packs to keep everything in pristine condition, even after making the trip all the way from New York to Wisconsin. And HelloFresh didn't skimp. The meals had everything needed to make the meals that same day, with the exception of basics like salt and pepper and a stick of butter. It couldn't have gotten any easier to make a home-cooked meal that tasted like something out of a gourmet restaurant. And that's what's so great about HelloFresh. It's restaurant-quality, home-cooked, and made simple. Whether you're an aspiring chef or don't think you could live without your microwave, the service makes it easy for anyone to conquer the kitchen with delicious, healthy recipes that are easy to follow. Again, by the time the HelloFresh box shows up at your door, they've already done all your shopping, meal planning, and prep. So instead of focusing on picking out the best cuts of meat or the freshest produce, not to mention waiting in lines at rush hour at your local grocery store, you can get straight to the point, cooking up a hearty meal that'll please even the pickiest eaters. Our director can attest to how tough it can be to make children happy, when they think they'd rather be eating pizza and peanut butter sandwiches every day. But HelloFresh made everything enjoyable and easy. Craig and his family decided together which of the three meals they got all at once they would uh, make that first night. And they settled on HelloFresh's Italian meatloaf with roasted green beans and mashed potatoes. The fresh, pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow six-step recipe cards included made it a breeze to prepare the meal in less than 20 minutes. And like I said, everything you'd need was included, except for salt and pepper and a bit of butter. Basil, fresh, right off the stem, shallots, garlic, and a generous pile of Yukon gold potatoes were all in the box, alongside the best beef he's ever tasted, green beans, and even the milk and sour cream. Because of all this, Craig was able to spend less time planning and shopping and more time around the table with the people he loves most, enjoying a hot meal he made himself. What a way to feel accomplished after a long day at the office, without needing to leave the comfort of your home to buy a dozen ingredients for just one meal. In the same box, Craig also received all the ingredients necessary to make pork carnitas tacos with pickled onion and Monterey Jack cheese, And my favorite, cheesy stuffed barbecue pork burgers with charred pineapple and sweet potato fries. (laughs) Man, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. But hey, there's more. If meat's not your thing, there's a vegetarian option too, alongside the classic and family plans. 
and you can switch between the options whenever your tastes change at no extra cost. And no matter which plan you choose, all the meals are designed to go from the package to your table in a half hour or less and use less than two pots and pans with minimal cleanup. Now, it might have been the shallots, but I like to think it was the simplicity and pleasure of making a restaurant-quality meal for his family that brought him to tears the night he made the Italian meatloaf. Even with three picky boys, HelloFresh's kid-tested and approved meals were a hit, and there was enough left over for lunch the next day. And that was from just one of the three meals included. The only thing HelloFresh doesn't do for you is cook the meal. But making a table of Tasty Eats doesn't get any better or easier than this. And I think once you give this service a try, you'll never go back to eating out again. Who wants overpriced chain restaurant cuisine or greasy burgers and fries when you can put something unique and delicious on your table three days a week with HelloFresh without needing to pile everyone into the car to go anywhere. HelloFresh just makes sense. So, get out that re- out of your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes with HelloFresh today. And to show their appreciation and to make it easy for you to sign up now, HelloFresh is offering our listeners $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. It's like getting eight meals free. Just go to HelloFresh.com forward slash CTDN80 and enter CTDN80. That's CTDN80. All one word. Once again, that's HelloFresh.com forward slash CTDN80 and enter the promo code CTDN80 to let them know that Otis and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Now that we've freed up your schedule by making it easier for you to make dinner, you've got some extra time to kill. So now, why not spend it with us, listening in as we spin another terrifying tale? Our second story tonight is performed by Jason Hill, and follows a young man who just can't wait to tell his best friend about a bizarre discovery he made in the nearby woods. But as the old adage goes, sometimes it's best to leave sleeping dogs lie, especially when you don't know how big the dog's teeth are. Now I present to you, from the author, Nicholas Gray, The Portal in the Woods. Dad, you said you'd play catch with me. I yelled as my father walked past me to his office, where he spent most of his days when he wasn't at work. I'm sorry, bud. I've got to get these documents down for tomorrow's big meeting. We'll do it another day, okay? I frowned. That was the same excuse he always gave me, and the same follow-up he always had. We'll do it another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure we will, I thought. The longer I stood in front of his door, the more upset I became. I eventually huffed and puffed enough to the point where I stormed out of the house. I left for my go-to place when I was upset. The treehouse. 
To a 12-year-old kid, a treehouse was the perfect place for a kid to just get away from his problems and be a kid. It was Reese's and my place to go when we were sad, mad, or just bored out of our minds. It was our little getaway when things went awry in our lives. We also went there just to hang out. It was our spot. We had found the treehouse one day while looking through the woods for buried treasure. We didn't find any treasure, but we did stumble upon the treehouse. We climbed up the ladder and viewed the place from inside. Reese called it a dump, but I saw the potential in it. I fixed her up, grabbing fold-up chairs, a rug, and a blanket to cover the only window in the wooden box to create the coolest treehouse ever. We kept our comic books, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and other miscellaneous knickknacks up there. Now that I got the treehouse out of the way, let me explain to you who Reese is. Reese is my best friend. He moved in next door when I was in the second grade. We went over to the house and introduced ourselves. I went into Reese's room and saw that he had a Nintendo 64. We sat down and played Super Smash Brothers all day, and that first visit became a sleepover which we spent staying up late playing video games till our eyes became sore and then some. Reese was a good kid. Sure, he'd get into trouble occasionally, like the one time he fed his sister's goldfish to the cat, but he was overall a good kid. He'd get into trouble for sneaking out and he constantly was a wise-ass to teachers, but again, he was a good kid. And most importantly, my best friend. My only friend. That day, Reese was on the last day of his grounding. He was caught sneaking out at night. I was supposed to sneak out as well, but I got cold feet and stayed in bed. Reese went to the treehouse alone, and when he realized I wasn't there, returned home, where his parents caught him trying to sneak back in. Reese would always tease me, clucking and calling me a chicken when I did stuff like this. I was sure that once he got loose from the confines of his room, he'd be all up in my ear about it. I entered the woods and was making my way to the treehouse. I was about three quarters of the way there, swinging a stick I found a while back, pretending it was Excalibur, when I saw it. It was a black hole, the size of a bowling ball, levitating at eye level a few feet away from me. It looked like someone took a picture and punched a hole through it, leaving a black spot in its place. I approached it curiously. I tried to go around it to get a side view of the thing, but it just disappeared. I walked behind where it would have been, and it reappeared. The hole was paper thin, and couldn't be seen from its sides. I looked at it intensely, trying to see anything inside. I looked down at Excalibur and lifted it upwards. I slowly inserted the stick into the black hole. Suddenly, like a vacuum, the hole absorbed the stick forcing me to let go. I fell backwards on my rear end, kicking my legs out and skittering back at a feeble attempt to create distance between the black hole and me. I breathed heavily as I stared at the hole in astonishment. Then, the stick was spat back out and fell at my feet. I was frozen in place for a good minute. I didn't know what to do. Then, I had an idea... I ran over to a tree and grabbed an acorn off the ground. I went up to the hole and chucked the acorn in. I waited a minute, and then the acorn came out, whizzing past my head. Oh, I said. That's when I had another idea. 
I went home and grabbed the football from my bedroom, just in case my dad decided he ever wanted to play catch with me. I brought it to the black hole, got into a throwing stance, stretching my arm backwards, winding up the shot, and then threw. Of course, I missed the hole completely. I ran and grabbed the ball, got closer to the hole, and threw it underhand. This time, it went in. The minute passed and then the ball popped right back out and bounced a few times before it rolled up close to me. I smiled and prepared another throw. I got into the stance, stretched my arm backwards, and chucked it as hard as I could. This time, the ball went in no problem. A minute went by, and I just stood in front of the hole. The ball suddenly came out fast, spiraling and hitting me dead in the stomach. I fell to my knees in shock and pain. I wasn't expecting it to come out that hard. That's when I realized that it all depended on the strength of my throw. If I threw it weakly, the hole would toss it back with the same momentum. Throw it hard, and it would come back hard. I played catch with the black hole for a good hour and then made my way home. I couldn't wait to show Reese. The next day arrived. It was Sunday, so after Reese got back from church, I was ready to show my friend the coolest thing ever. When my friend got back home, I quickly ran over to his house and asked his parents if he could hang out. They said, of course, and we went to the treehouse. Dude, I have something amazing to show you, I said, hyped for my friend to see my cool find. Yeah, yeah, sure you do, he responded. We walked about three quarters of the way and started to approach where I'd seen the black hole. That's when Reese spotted it. Whoa. What the hell is that thing? It's a portal, I eagerly said. We looked at it for a good minute and then made our way closer. Throw this into it, I said, unable to hold back the excitement in my voice. I handed him the football and he brought his arm back and threw it in on the first try. I was a little envious, but I had to remember that Reese played baseball so his aim was better than mine. Now what? He asked. Just wait. A minute went by, even though it felt like an eternity, and the ball finally popped back out and landed on the ground in front of Reese. Reese didn't say anything for a moment, then knelt and picked up the football. He scrutinized it carefully, looking for any scuffs or nicks on the ball. That was pretty amazing. He said in a monotone. I smiled, grabbed the ball back from him, and threw it into the hole once again. We played for a good thirty minutes. At first, Reese wanted to know how many things could go through the hole. He threw rocks, acorns, even a worm into the hole. All came back just like they had before. Then, we took turns tossing the football into it. What's on the other side? Reese finally asked. I don't know, space stuff? What if there was like a whole another dimension on the other side of it? Maybe there's maybe there's an alternate version of us. I tossed the football into the portal again and waited for its reemergence. Yeah, I guess it's possible. Aren't you at all curious what's on the other side? I thought for a moment. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm a little curious. Well? Well, what? I asked, confused. Stick your head through the portal. What? No way, I said, 
backing up as if to say no with my body. Come on, don't be a chicken like you were the other night. There it was, the chicken comment. I knew it was coming. I don't care what you say, I'm not doing it, I said, not letting peer pressure get the best of me. Every time he pressured me into doing something, we always ended up in trouble. That's when he began to cluck, bending his arms into his torso to resemble a chicken's wings. Chicken, 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 he chanted. Look, I'm not doing it. You don't know what could be on the other side. What if there's a monster or something? Come on, man. It's just a portal. Don't you want to know who's been tossing the ball back through it? I didn't think about that aspect of it. I guess there could have been someone on the other side, catching the ball and tossing it back to us. But I still didn't budge in my decision. Pussy, he finally shouted, which hit hard. He'd never called me a pussy before. I didn't even know that word was in his vocabulary. I knew the word too, but I'd never dare say it. He began to walk around the portal and I shouted to him, what are you doing, Reese? I'm going to look through the portal. I quickly followed him, trying to explain that it was a bad idea, but he wasn't having any of it. Look, you can't be a chicken your whole life. You gotta take chances sometimes. Plus, I want to know who, or what, has been on the receiving end of our passes. Don't you? Uh, I guess, but... I don't think it's safe to just poke your head into things you don't understand. Pussy, he said, then bent forward to stick his head into the hole. He hesitated at first, maybe to take in what he was about to do, then plunged his head into the hole. A few long seconds later passed by and nothing happened. He just stood there, arms limp at his sides, looking through the hole. I looked around nervously, like we were doing a bad deed and I was on watch. Then, everything happened at once. Reese fell backwards, hitting the ground hard. I stood right behind him and was hit by something warm and wet, as if someone sprayed me with a super soaker filled with hot water. I looked down at the ground. He was missing his head. His neck leaked copious amounts of blood all over the place. That's when I realized that I was covered in blood. I screamed a scream only a kid could make. Then, something flew out of the portal, and I instinctively caught it as it slammed into my chest. I looked down at the thing in my hands and screamed again. It was Reese's head. His face was twisted in horror, like he'd just seen a ghost. His tongue lolled to the side, and his eyes were glazed over. A white, milky film covered his barely visible pupils. Memories started flooding into my head. Thoughts of the times Reese and I would play hooky from school. The times we'd sneak out and would tell scary stories to each other in the treehouse, trying to make the other piss his pants. All the fond memories I'd ever had of Reese came together all at once and were shattered with one new, horrifying mental scar. My hands began to tremble and I dropped Reese's head to the dirt and ran away. 
I kept running till I made it home. I opened the door and slammed it behind me, then ran to the restroom to wipe Reese's blood off of my face. I spent half an hour scrubbing Reese's blood from my face, and another scrubbing the blood off my clothes. I was petrified. I walked out of the restroom and ran up the stairs to my bedroom. I got into bed, even though it was only six o'clock, and lay there, mortified. My eyes were wide open, looking straight at the ceiling, staring into space. The image of Reese's body dropping to the ground and his head landing in my arms kept playing over and over in my head. And then, after hyperventilating for a good ten minutes, I fell asleep. My dad woke me up. I opened my eyes and thought to myself, oh, that was one weird-ass dream. But my father knocked me out of that thought when he asked me if I knew where Reese was. Apparently, he didn't come home. And his parents thought that maybe he was over at my place. They filed a missing persons report the next day, thinking that maybe Reese had run away. After a few days went by, the police decided to do a search of the woods. They spread out and found his decapitated body on the woodland floor. Local news played the story everywhere. They were looking for his killer and asking anyone who had any information to call the local police department. I picked up the phone a few times, mostly to clear my conscience, which was eating me alive, but I didn't, because I knew that no one would believe me. Who would? Hey, my best friend stuck his head through a portal and it bit his head off. Yeah, I'm sure that would be taken seriously. After all this time, one question remains with me, though. What did my friend see on the other side of that portal? I hope you enjoyed the portal in the woods. Up next, we shift gears from the great outdoors to the grizzly indoors with a tale about a hotel hosting guests of an unusual variety, from author Andrew Harmon, brought to life by voice actor Andrew Berrios. Without further ado, I present to you Room 401. Room 401. Franklin Waters checked in on my night audit shift. I'd been working at the Pink Ridge Inn for about eight months, originally during the evenings, but I was offered the 11pm to 7am shift after a few weeks because the previous night order had graduated from college and moved on to a new career. It was mostly uneventful, mostly paperwork. I had my fair share of walk-ins overnight, but Franklin Waters was different. He was a very particular man and had some special requests when I took down his information. First, and most importantly, he explained, was that he worked at night and slept during the day. As a night auditor, I understood his sentiments. He had a groggy look to him, as if he didn't sleep much at all, let alone during the day. He had drooping, bloodshot eyes and graying five o'clock shadow. He was wearing a Hall & Oates shirt that I commented on as a mutual fan and we struck up some polite small talk regarding their songs. His favorite was Private Eyes. 
I can go for that equipped. He smiled for the first time during the check-in process at my joke, but it didn't last long. His second rule? No housekeeping. This wasn't so peculiar. We had a handful of long-term guests while I worked there, and a lot of them weren't comfortable with having strangers in the room while they were absent. But Franklin slept during the day and would rather clean up after himself than be woken up by a maid at 11 o'clock in the morning. Once again, I get it. I'm a night owl too. The third rule was that we were not to transfer any outside calls to his room, or even tell someone whether he was there or not. Once again, not so strange. In fact, this was standard procedure at hotels. Guest privacy was taken very seriously by our staff, so I had no problem assuring him that his stay would be no one's business but his own. He explained that he had recently divorced, and so he wanted peace from his bitch of an ex-wife, as he called her. He made one exception, though. If his son called, we were to transfer his call immediately. I told him my name was Andrew. He smiled again. This time, it lasted longer. Andrew is my son's name, too. He explained that he hadn't spoken to his son in over six years. Estranged. Some big fight between them that he wouldn't get into. A sob story. I was interested, but didn't let on. His last rule? No one could charge his credit card unless he authorized them to. He would call once a week to give us his consent, and we could hit his card for payment then. None of his requests were out of the ordinary. So we finished up his registration and sent him on his way. After that, I never saw Franklin again. For the first two weeks, everything was fine with 401. He called every Friday night to have his credit card charged. He would ask how the night was going. He asked if I had seen the game the previous night. I never knew what game he was talking about. I wasn't big into sports. But on the third week, he failed to call for payment. This happens often at hotels. People forget what day it is, guests may be low on money, and try to slip by for a few days until they can get a paycheck or a loan. The morning staff monitor balances, types up a friendly reminder letter, and slides it under the door. Room 401 always had the Do Not Disturb sign posted, so management never did more than slide a note under the door and hope to hear back soon. Most of the daytime people were a bit wary of 401, because no one, other than me, had actually seen Franklin. They never heard a peep from his room. Never got calls from him, no requests for clean linens or towels. After a while, you just assume they're a very private person and forget all about them. After three days, Franklin still hadn't made payment, and talk was abuzz in the office about eviction. So that night, I set up my assistant guest will return shortly sign and made my way up to the fourth floor. It was around 3 o'clock in the morning, so the hallways were empty. The corridors had recently been painted a dark shade of brown, and the old, yellowing wall sconces really left the whole fourth floor very dim. Hotels had always been eerie but fascinating places to me, especially at night. You could walk from floor to floor and never meet a soul, never hear a sound from anyone. If you didn't know better, you might not even remember what floor you're on. They all looked the same. 
all the rooms look the same, everything is made to be standard, uniform, a repeat of a repeat of a repeat. Mix that with the long, empty halls that ended at closed doors, and there was just something, I don't know, creepy about the place. 401 was at the very end of the hall, farthest away from the office. As I neared the room, I could hear faint music. As I drew nearer, I made out what it was. Private eyes, they're watching you. They see your every move. Private eyes, they're watching you. Private eyes, they're watching you. Watching you. Watching you. It was coming from 401. I paused at the door. I always felt awkward knocking on people's doors. The idea that these people living their own lives suddenly interrupted by a banging on the door. The do not disturb sign was still on the handle. I knocked away. Nothing. I knocked again. Waited 30 seconds. Knocked again. Waited a minute. There was no answer, but the music kept playing. I sighed and walked back down to the office for the night. I hated being ignored, especially when I knew someone was in the room. I grabbed the sheet that had all of the room extension numbers on it and called 401. After a few rings, Franklin picked up. I could still hear Hall and Oates in the background when he said, Hello? Franklin, it's Andrew down at the front desk, I said. I was just letting you know that your payment has been overdue for a few days. Can I go ahead and charge your card? Oh, sure. My apologies. Franklin said. Go right ahead. I've just been so detached from the world lately. It slipped my head. No problem. Just remember that it's due every Friday, okay? I said. Then I joked. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, where have you been hiding? Oh. I've been floating around here someplace. He said. Any calls for me? Not that I've gotten, no. I said. Nothing from my son. No, sir. I said. I felt a little bad for him because he didn't say anything for a few seconds after I answered. He eventually told me to have a nice night and hung up. Another month passed and things went about the same. 401 would miss a payment, I'd go up to the fourth floor to hear the same song playing down at the end of the hall. Why you try to put up a front for me? I'm a spy, but on your side, you see. Slip into any disguise, and I'll still know you. I would knock, no answer. I would call, and Franklin would pick up with the music in the background. I would ask to charge his card, he would consent. He would ask if his son had called, I told him he had not. Now and then, there would be some small talk, but one night in particular, he asked me, Andrew? Why are you looking up my name on Google? I was startled by the question because I had. The night shift was a boring job and sometimes my curiosity would drive me to Google and guess that seemed a little off. I never found much. The occasional arrest record, a LinkedIn profile, searching Franklin Waters hadn't turned up anything interesting either. I take that back. I had found one thing. A police report behind a paywall, and from the brief abstract I could access, it mentioned a child abuse case and a domestic disturbance on file. 
I looked at Franklin's registration card. The city and state on his ID matched the area where the police report was filed. A week later, 401's payment was overdue again. It had become routine by now that I would ascend to the fourth floor, knock on Franklin's door, and get no answer. By this time, however, I was growing frustrated with the situation. Why couldn't this man just remember when he had to make payments? I stood at his door and knocked longer than usual. Louder than usual. After a few minutes, I swiped my master key and the door unlocked. But when I tried to turn the handle, it was jammed. I tried a few times to no avail. Then I leaned in to peer through the peephole, even knowing that this was not how peoples worked. As I leaned in, the familiar Hall and Oates song was going into its final verse. Look into my private eyes. They're watching you. They see it. Ooh, they're watching you. I could only make out a blurry illumination coming from within the room as I leaned closer. I put my eyes against the lens, hoping I could see something, anything, in the light. Then something moved in front of the hole, blocked the light completely. I jumped back, I didn't stick around any longer, and retreated back to the office. I didn't even call for a one that night for payment. Every inch of me was rattling with adrenaline. My fingers shook. I left a note from my manager that I needed to take my vacation days as soon as possible. The next morning my manager called, we worked out a schedule so that I'd be off for the next week. That would drain all of the vacation hours I'd saved, but I didn't mind. I needed to get out of that hotel for a while. I took my vacation at home, drinking, hanging out with friends, catching up on Netflix. My nerves were starting to unwind and I felt like I'd be ready to face the hotel again after my much needed rest. But on the fourth day, my manager called. He talked very softly as he asked how my vacation was going, asked if I had gone anywhere special. I could tell by the tone of his voice, nonetheless, that my time off was not what he was interested in. Well, my manager said, Andrew, the reason I'm calling is about 401. Oh? What about him? Did he miss another payment? I asked. You just have to call him sometime at night. He sleeps during the day. No, no, he said. Well, you see, his credit card expired yesterday. So we slipped a letter under his door to contact us as soon as he could. But we didn't hear anything from him. So we went up to see if he was there and couldn't get in. Eventually, maintenance had to cut the lock. <laughs> He was... he was hiding in there? I asked, chuckling to myself as I grabbed a Capri Sun from the refrigerator. No. My manager said. No. He was dead. I closed the fridge door slowly, staring out the back patio door. Dead? Yeah, I, uh... Well, we think suicide right now. He said slowly. We called the police out. The coroner came. We actually really need you to come down here, Andrew. When was the last time you talked to Mr. Waters? Right before I went on vacation. Well, I didn't talk to him. But I went to his room and I heard him playing music. Someone was definitely moving around inside, but the door was jammed then too. Andrew. 
Listen, he said. All the food in the room was spoiled. All those payment reminders we slipped under his door were just piled up. The coroner is here. He's saying that Franklin Waters must have been dead for a while. At least a month. What? I stammered. Are, are you in his room now? Are you at the hotel? No. I'm actually in my car. I'm driving over to pick you up. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, okay. I said. I hung up. I hung up as fast as I could and closed the curtains. I was brimming with horror. Not because of the conversation, not because I had spoken to a dead man, but because when my manager told me that he was in his car, I heard something in the background. His car radio volume turned low, playing. They're watching you, watching you, watching you. I hope you enjoyed Room 401. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, HelloFresh, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh by visiting hellofresh.com forward slash ctdn80 and entering ctdn80. That's ctdn80. 80 all one word once again that's hellofresh.com forward slash ctdn80 with the promo code ctdn80 i'm your host otis jiry and it's been a pleasure as always i'm so glad you were able to join us tonight tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jive. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, 
where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>